All right, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 um, for today. So let's take kind of a, a recap. And we go back to our chiastic form of this whole section. And, and we have come here to the end, to the fulfillment of the denial of Peter. And it also is the end of the three predictions and now we're going to see the, the last of the three fulfillments. So everything Jesus said, everything he predicted, it came true. Um, and it goes with the, what we talked about last week. Jesus' trial before the Sanhedrin. And you remember this. This was the kangaroo court, uh, false witnesses. You, I mean, you're just, you're just seeing these are the most prominent men of Israel and here they are, and you just see why Jesus had to judge the temple, why they needed a savior, why they needed a shepherd for Israel, because the, the shepherds that were there, they were just, they were just corrupt. Um, but as I said, it goes along with this fulfillment of the denial of Peter. We split it up <clears throat> uh, just because of the length of it and covering what we needed to cover. But we mentioned this last week, that there is this interweaving that happens in all of this and it becomes about the trial of Jesus this legal trial and also about um, this personal trial that Peter is involved in so it starts off verse 53 it's it's talking about you know the trial of Jesus and then in verse 54 Peter's mentioned and where he is in all of this he's in the courtyard. And then it goes back to the trial of Jesus, which is what we saw last week, where, you know, went on through with the false witnesses and the accusations and everything else. And then we're back this week with the trial of Peter. So it's a literary form that an author will use, like Mark, who loves to do this kind of stuff, to contrast. And you're going you're gonna to see these contrasts are absolutely glaring um, as we move into this uh, as well. So one of these is taking place, they're simultaneous, one's taking place inside, that's where Jesus is, and then the other one is taking place outside um, as well. <clears throat> so, um, and we also as a reader, we're supposed to think about our own faithfulness under pressure, um, but the spotlight this morning is on Peter, where we get started. Gethsemane, this is where Peter had fallen asleep how many times? Three times. How many times did Jesus say, Peter, you need to stay awake and you need to watch and pray? Three times. And that kind of became an omen for what happens here with these three denials. All right. So let's first notice where Peter is. Where is Peter? He's in the courtyard. And it also says below in the courtyard. And, and by the way, courtyard, as you might imagine, and in this day and time, it was an open air entrance. It was attached and leading into a house or into a building. And if they're the remains of what they believe is the high priest's palace, uh, Caiaphas's house where this trial was going on. And if we were to look at kind of a, a remaking of this place, um, the courtyard here, you see it's outside. And Jesus is presumed to be up here on the second floor. So what we're seeing with Peter is he's close, right? He's close by. 
He's, he's near Jesus. And this is also the place, courtyard, where least uh, or the less distinguished people or servants that they hung out. Um, and maybe, you know, when they're off work or something, they go in there to smoke. I don't know. Um, but anyway, that's, that's the kind of places um, and the people. And we also may presume that some of those who are part of the arresting party, they were out in this courtyard. Maybe not all of them, um, but I think some of those absolutely were. All right. And so I want to go back, verse 27, before we move back to where we just read. So verse 27, remember this, and Jesus said to them, this was the prediction, you will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be what? They will be scattered. How is Peter doing so far on this? He's the only one left, right? Everybody else has scattered. Um, but then he goes on, he says, but after I'm raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they will fall away, I will not. All right. So far, he's right. But then he goes on and Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he emphatically said, if I must die with you. I will not deny you. And they all said the same thing. So far, Peter's doing pretty good, right? Um, until, right? But we also see, even though he's close by, is he standing with Jesus? What's Peter doing? Yeah, warming himself. He's kind of mixing in with the crowd, right? He's trying to do all of this secretly. The spotlight's on Peter with what Mark does, but, but Peter's like, I don't want the spotlight. That's what he's showing here. And so he would rather mingle with the crowd at a distance than he would stand with Jesus inside. So who is the first person who approaches Peter? servant girl right a servant girl now notice where she saw Peter where was this yeah warming by the fire okay it doesn't say fire does it and but we know it's a fire and the reason we know it's a fire is because Peter are I mean Mark already let us in on that back in verse 54 when remember you got this intermingling so verse 54 Notice, and Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now, here's what's really interesting. The word that Mark uses for fire, it means a source of light made by fire. And the literal translation is the light. He's warming by the light. Mark doesn't use the, uh, the, the Greek word that's normally used for a fire itself, but simply that the fire provides a light. Because here they are, and, and he, he uses this word again of warming himself, and it takes us back to verse 54, and what does she do here in verse 67? She did what? She looked at him. How did she know it's Peter? 
he's in the light, right? It's, it's kind of Mark's way of letting us uh, kind of in on this thing. Um, but it, it says that she looked, she, it says this twice, and it's, it's talking about this, this looking at someone intently. This same word is going to pop up later on. It actually isn't going to come from Mark, but I think it is important uh, to look at a little bit later on. But what we're seeing is she's looking at him in this light, right? So the very first person who questions Peter is a slave girl, right? Prominent person like the high priest probably had several slaves this particular point uh, but I think this may be Mark's way of emphasizing to us her social insignificance right I mean what what makes her socially insignificant she's a girl and she's a servant okay so what does she say to Peter yeah yeah, you were with the Nazarene Jesus, and she recognizes Peter. Of course, Mark doesn't tell us where she recognizes him from. Maybe she was there in the garden, you know, went with the crew, and she saw, saw this going down. Uh, probably it would be, you know, they spent a lot of time in the temple complex uh, leading up to this, and there was all the ruckus. Jesus was all the talk and everything else, and so this, this Galilean group, this group from the north, um, if you will, and she actually refers to them as, or Jesus as the Nazarene, and it's a title that comes very early on, and and that's that's basically saying they're a northerner, okay? So for all you snowbirds out there, um, although it's going to have more of a southern context here in just a second, so I think that she is she is showing forth this distinctiveness of Peter that he is a foreigner of sorts even though he's a fellow Jew he is a nor he's a part of that northern group so she asks him this and what does Peter say it denied he denied it means to deny a relationship of association with someone he's disowning Jesus is what he's doing um, didn't he just say just a, just a couple of hours before this that the last thing he would do, even if everyone else did, he would not deny Jesus. I will die before I deny him. And here he is. It's not even 24 hours. It's not even 12 hours. And he's already denying Jesus. So he says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. To know is an academic knowledge. Understand is a practical knowledge. It's a total denial is what's happening. It's a total denial in theory and practice. So, so yes, no, good point. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, the denials get stronger, don't they? They really get stronger, uh, especially the third one. So while Jesus, Jesus is inside, and what does he boldly confess? Remember this from last week? Yeah, he says, I am the Messiah. I am the son of God. I am the one who's going to sit at the right hand of power. 
And he's saying this to who? The high priest. Peter is outside. And he is denying Christ. To who? The servant of who? The high priest. You see this? You see the distinct, you, do you see the contrast that's happening? It's like, you know, you're almost like, Peter, why are you afraid of a servant girl? But he is. He's afraid. So she makes this identity or she says this, and, and, and then what does Peter do after he makes this denial? Where does he head to? Was it? Yeah, the gateway. It's an area in front of the, the entrance. We might say the vestibule or whatever you want to call it there, um, probably right there connected with the courtyard, um, I would imagine. So really, what is he trying to do? Where is, what is he trying to move away from? He's trying to move away from the light. Is that what you're going to say? Yeah, yeah, he needs to get back into the darkness. He needs to get back where hopefully no one is going to recognize him. And then it says what when he gets there? The rooster crows. So this is the first rooster crow. Now, just a little side note here. Um, most scholars don't believe that was supposed to be in there, this, this first cock crow. You may even have some kind of little thing. The reason is it's not in the oldest manuscripts. And the other reason is you'll sometimes see this. It's, it's the MSS. And these are, these are manuscripts that have been copied in its original language. And they find that some have it, some don't, so there, it shows that there was some kind of tension here. Um, but either way, if this is the first cock crow, and we know there were two, but if there was the first one, um, it adds tension to the story, doesn't it? To the reader. It's like, oh, Peter is the first one. Did Peter react to the first cock crow? Not based on this. Uh, so evidently, if there was this, this, this is when it happened, then it had no effect on Peter. Uh, we just don't know. Uh, even though Peter's moved away from the light into the gateway, does the pressure decrease? No, it increases. Okay, who's it, who is it coming to him this time? It's the same girl. It's the same girl, right? So despite Peter's desire to maintain discreet, uh, he becomes the center of attention. And she follows Peter from the courtyard into this, this gateway, vestibule, whatever it is, because she is still intent on who this person is. Now, you don't really give a whole lot of what was said as far as that's concerned, except that he denied him. Um, but there is something different with the second denial than with the first. What is it? Ah, she's telling the bystanders. So now it's going from this, you know, individual to it's a public denial. It's a public denial that, that Peter is making here. Um, the imperfect sense of the Greek verb, what I understand is, is deny means that Peter went off, as we might say, on this rant. And we're not given the rant. We're not told what he says. It just simply says he denied Jesus. He denied that relationship of, of association. Hmm. So, Peter's first two denials, was everybody satisfied? <laughs> oh, they were not satisfied. 
And now, who is it that is going to speak to him? Yeah, the bystanders. It's no longer just a servant girl. Now the bystanders. And they've got questions for Peter. They're all surrounding him, it seems like, at this point. Uh, Now notice that the bystanders didn't approach him until it says, after a little while. Of course, we don't know how long that was. We imagine it was a short while. Um, But why do they now come to Peter? Why are they now questioning? What was it that brought them here? Yeah, it's dialect. Yeah, now Matthew comes straight out, says, After a little while the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you, you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. So even though these people, they're all around, you know, here for Passover at this time, uh, these pilgrims and everything, it would have really stood out in the courtyard of the high priest. Right? And they, they, said, they said, you are a what? You're a Galilean. It's the same way as saying you are a northerner. Or really, actually, in this case, you're a southerner. And so uh, they must have listened further, maybe, to Peter's accent, which is why they came a little bit later. I don't know. But Jesus and his disciples, they're known as a Galilean group. They're known as the people who came in that area. And people in Jerusalem, what did they think of people in Galilee? They, they thought of them the way, you know, a lot of people around the country think of people from the south. You know, uh, that, you know, they're, they're a bunch of hicks, they're inbred, they're, you know, they, they're behind the times, all this kind of stuff. And that's, that's kind of the way um, they saw them. Now, one of the things I noticed when I moved to Florida is Floridian said, well, we're not really Southerners. So I don't know what y'all call yourself. But anyway, uh, but, but you know, you know what I'm talking about. This is kind of how the, this is the way they saw them, these Galileans. And it's like, how can the Messiah come from a place like this um, as well? So, okay, so now they're all on him and they're all saying this. Does Peter finally say, you know what, you got me? What does he say? Totally denies it. This is bold, what he says here. What does he pronounce? A curse. He swears an oath. Now, we're going to look at that a little closer. The English Standard Version, that's what I I use. Peter invoked a curse on himself. Does anyone have a different translation other than curse on himself? No one else? Everybody else? Curses on himself, though. That's what I'm kind of looking for, the on himself part. Anybody have anything other than that? Curse and swear. Uh, let's look at, okay, so the word curse means to swear by invoking a curse upon oneself, which is the way the English standard puts it, or on another for failure. And so, uh, and we'll just look at swear just for a second. A promise solemnly, usually invoking a divine witness. Okay, this is pretty serious stuff he's doing here. He's uh, regarding your future acts or behavior, often including penalties for failure within the context of that oath. But I want to go back to this, this idea of a curse, because this word is used only one other time in the New Testament, other than this narrative. And it's used in the book of Acts. 
And in Acts, um, the word is used, but it's also given the object. So the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath. There's our word or a curse, neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So that is upon themselves. We strictly bound ourselves by an oath. We bound themselves by an oath. And so what some scholars say is, here they've added the object. And when the object is not added, like it is here, they believe that the curse is on another. In other words, they believe what Jesus is, what Peter's doing is he's pronouncing a curse on Jesus. If that's the case, that's just absolute blasphemy. Right? Um, but but it's, a, it's an interesting point as to whether this is what Peter's doing. And, you know, some of the scholars... <laughs> have said we've kind of we've kind of changed or they think some scholars have changed that because we're not really comfortable with thinking Peter would pronounce a curse on Jesus. Um, but they say they really believe that this is a is a true possibility. And so this may have been their way uh, a way for Mark to emphasize um, just really what's happening here. So a slave girl um, Yeah, this is where I am. Uh, the English Standard, NIV, Revised Standard, say Peter was invoking a curse on himself. Um, but as I said, he may be pronouncing a curse on Jesus. In the New Testament, um, this is the only other place, and it gives the object. So Mark betrays Peter, if this is the case, the way Pliny the Younger, or Pliny the Elder, and he was a governor of, Ro of he was a Roman governor. And um, he wrote this letter in 112 A.D. about the Christians. And they're being persecuted at this time. And this is what he said. He said, real Christians could not be compelled to curse Jesus. And some of you may have heard of Polycarp. And in Poly Martyr of Polycarp, uh, we read about this. He's told to swear or curse, and I will release you. And Polycarp's answer to the, to the Roman government is 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who has saved me? And then one other, he was a rebel um, among the Jews, Bar, I think it's Bar Kochaba, Bar Kochaba, something like that. He lived between 132, 135 A.D. is when he did his writings. And he gave Christians the choice between death and cursing Christ. So, if this is the case, and many scholars believe that's what Mark is implying here, um, it's pretty serious, right? All the disciples have misunderstood Jesus. But this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark anyone of, of his people have denied him. And it's who? Who is Peter? He's the rock. What else? He's the leader. He's the spokesman. And, and imagine these first readers in Rome when Mark was written several years later and this is being distributed and there's persecution. Do you think there were any who had denied Jesus in order to save their own skin? Um, and, and so it's showing that, and, it, and I think it's probably a warning for all of them to show, look, if someone like Peter can do this, no one's exempt. No one's exempt. 
um, from denying Jesus unless you take this seriously. So uh, this makes Peter's failure a little worse, doesn't it? It makes it all the more worse, yes. Well, what I was going to say, it makes it worse, but it also shows how awesome God's grace is. Yes, there's hope. And we're going to come to that in just a second. But you bring up a good point, and we're going to really deal with it in worship this morning. And that is people who still, they're trying to follow Jesus, but they just want to do it at a distance. Right? And, and they deny Jesus maybe by their life and other things. They're still there. But how does Mark portray, portray Peter? Is this a good thing? Where did Peter need to be? He needed to be with Jesus and not outside. Right? At this point, is, is Peter ready to die for Jesus? No. And so Mark is trying to help us and move to the... Because later on, what are we going to find out about Peter? Peter's bold. Peter's bold. He's very bold. He's not scared anymore. Something happened in chapter 16. Okay, we got to keep going. Y'all are going to get me preaching now. Uh, okay, verse 72. And, and by the way, I think we're supposed to see that. I think we're supposed to see, well, Peter's there. But we're supposed to look and see even further. Yeah. No, I think so. I think, it, I think it's meant to, for the reader to see, to ask yourself, I mean, you, you say you're a follower of Jesus, but where exactly are you following? I, I really think that's where we're going with this. And also to show, yeah, we've got to grow from just wanting to warm by the fire to, to being with Jesus in the fire. You see? But I do think, yeah, I think it's meant to challenge us as readers. Yes. Well, first of all, Jesus would have not been a very good prophet. <laughs> uh, secondly, I think, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. In fact, what's really interesting is Peter's just vanishing. But, but here's, that's the beauty of the writing style. And it, what it's showing is they all wrote differently. They're telling these same stories, but they're telling them in certain ways. See how Mark's been doing this with contrasting and these sandwiches and these, you know, these forms for us to get to the center. Uh, irony, I mean, the irony is just all over the place with Mark. Uh, and, and, I mean, can you see the irony with, you know, Jesus is before the high priest and he absolutely confesses he is the Christ, knowing that's going to lead to his death. And outside is Peter with the high priest's servant, a woman. No offense, but we're looking first century here. A woman, and she has no abilities or power whatsoever, and all they're asking is, are you with him? Do you see the contrast? I mean, these contrasts are just, they're so good. Okay. So after this third one, this bold, the cock crows, right? 
and, and it shows the completion of this final prediction and fulfillment to us. And notice the, the, the crowing made Peter remember. Now, why in the world he didn't think about this after the first crow? We don't know. Um, but he does now. And also, it's something interesting, it, is that um, it's not unusual to find humans being rebuked by animals. And that's what this crow is doing. Can you think of another? Yeah, Balaam's donkey. What's another one? This one may be a little harder. In fact, if I had a, a moon pie, I'd throw it to you if you get this one. Jonah and the worm. You remember that in chapter 4 of Jonah? But anyway, how does Peter react? When he hears, oh yeah, he broke down. Uh, he broke down into effect, a flick suddenly. It's conceived of putting something heavy on something. Listen, I'm trying to get you into where Peter is. In fact, I put up another lexicon for this word. It means to give careful consideration to various implications of an issue, to reflect on, to think about seriously, to think deeply about. Um, does anyone have a different translation, by the way, other than broke down? What was that? He wept. Oh, well, before wept. Disowned. Okay. Anybody else? Scholars say it's a very hard word to translate because this word can mean to throw over, to cast upon. In fact, some translations, some of you may have uh, throwing himself down. Uh, it can mean he covered his head or he's thinking about it or he threw himself down or he broke down and he wept or even that he dashed outside. Whatever the meaning, we know this. It led to what? The fact that he wept, right? And, and, and maybe this, I, don't, I try to stay in Mark because, like I said, the writers have a certain way of doing it, but I, I just think this is important. Luke... Um, Luke's version of this, he said, Peter says, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Man, I think I'd have wept. <laughs> and, and the idea of weeping is more than just tears. It, it also has the idea of, of loud noises. You know, you know the difference in someone who's crying and someone who's weeping. And just like that, Jesus is alone. He's got to do the will of God by himself. Peter was the last one hanging out. But the abandonment is now complete. Let's bow for a word of prayer as we close. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you for your son, Jesus. Father, we know that we could not do this of ourselves. Father, we know that we're like Peter in so many ways, and maybe not the exact same narrative, but Father, we deny you sometimes, and, and maybe we feel like we're, we're following your son, and, and yet we're just kind of doing it at a distance. Father, just build us up. Help us to see what we're supposed to see. Help us to be the kind of people that you would want us to be, because, Father, we just could not have done and be where we are today without our Savior and without you sending your Son. 
So for this, this day, Father, we praise you. We lift up your holy name. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.